If they had lived in Old Testament times, they would have undoubtedly been stoned or mauled by bears. If they had lived in the time of Jesus, he would have rolled his eyes at them endlessly as he exercised their demons. If they had lived during the Reformation, Martin Luther would have nailed his 95 Thesis to their foreheads. But lo and behold, here we are, and somehow, each of them is responsible for leading the church in a different way. There's Kendall, the youth minister and mustache expert. Hunter, the rookie youth minister with the hair of Absalom. Coach Rhodes, a pre-youth minister whose observations leave you wondering, why? And Brandon, who's abandoned his youth ministry roots and is now largely useless. It's the Practical for the Pew podcast. Yay! Thank you, Justin, our big voice guy. He does that so well each and every episode, it's almost as if it's a recording. Now, we're continuing our conversation from our previous episode as we continue our journey through Nick Ripkin's The Insanity of Obedience. Uh, In this episode, we're going to continue our discussion through our big takeaways, our big ideas from part one of that challenging book. So we hope uh, that you will uh, enjoy this conversation, uh, that you too will be challenged like we were challenged, uh, and that you will take the time to honestly pray through uh, both your personal uh, walk with Jesus, your obedience to him, uh, your commitment to him, and pray through your churches. Uh, We all want to be completely obedient to Jesus, and we want to fulfill his mission. We want the same for our churches as well. So without further ado, let's jump right back into the conversation. And Coach Rhodes, why don't we start with you? Give us your big takeaways from this reading. I'm going to merge a couple, a couple from different chapters I just decided. So... This kind of piggybacks off off the the entire theme that we've we've been talking about, but on page in chapter five on page fifty seven, um, there's a quote that says, "If you share your faith, you play a part in their deaths," and um, that that hit me because it's like, well, you think, well, shoot, I got them killed. But you have to know, like this is this is in countries where persecution is very prevalent, where where people are dying for for the name of Jesus. Like if you share the name of Jesus with someone, you almost expect them to get killed because it's so prevalent. Um, and about witnessing in heavily persecuted countries. Yes, witness, <laughs> witnessing in heavily persecuted countries. Yeah, and. Um, that really hit home. I mean, not, not that necessarily that we face that, but it's like, man, you were, you're almost sentencing them, you know, like, Hey, you were sentenced to your death by, by me giving you the, by, you, by me giving you the gospel, you know? And, um, but how great that is that, um, death cannot hold us, you know, when, when we're with Jesus, cause, cause Jesus overcame the grave. So, so we overcome death um, and live eternally with him. And so um, death is the least of our worries when we're with him. And so that just brings home that message that, hey, you know, as Christians, as believers, go share. 
go share because um death is death it's, it's not gonna it's not gonna be anything to us because we, we know we have hope in eternal life with jesus that uh reminds me of another quote that he has um and i don't have it right in front of me but he says basically one of the greatest struggles for the followers of jesus is to develop and embrace a biblical worldview um which, you know, worldview, the way we view the world and function within it. Um, if we really believe that death had no hold on us and that we were going to live forever with Christ, um, we would have a whole lot less fear and anxiety about talking to people about our faith. Uh, like, if we honestly believe that, we would, I don't know, be a lot more intentional, more forward, more direct, whatever you want to say, uh, with telling people about that. Mm-hmm. And I want to add to that, um, in James 2, um, you know, your faith, faith with deeds, right? Yeah. You can tell, you can tell your faith by, by your deeds. And um, it also says in James 2, verse, verse 19, you know, good. Even the demons believe, even the demons believe that Jesus is God or that, that, that there is one God, you know? And so when you hear that, it's like, the name of Jesus and Hunter, have I, Hunter and I have had this conversation before because he had a class where they specifically talked about how powerful the name of Jesus is. The name of Jesus is so powerful. We can't even comprehend it. At the same time, we don't recognize it. You know, like it is so powerful, but we, we can't comprehend it, but we don't recognize it. And I mean that like, are we relying on him? Are we, are we using his name through his power or are we just are we just nonchalant oh well whatever happened will happen you know like i've heard stories of people um praying demons out in the name of jesus and the demons flee like out of people's body like real life stories like today like in america in america today in other countries today where people are praying in the name of jesus flee and the demons flee because Jesus is so powerful. And I so I just want to get that theme that and and it's so true that Jesus Jesus is so powerful and we must recognize that. Amen. I mean, Kendall mentioned uh the other disciples who didn't get out of the boat, uh when Peter did get out of the boat. It makes me think of knowledge without application is worthless. I mean, true knowledge is in the doing and the experience of uh faith lived out of of the deeds that you mentioned in james um so yeah i mean we can know the power in the name of jesus all day long but um we we can know about faith and about the bible all day long but are we actually living it out are we actually applying it and doing it you know brandon um just to touch on that a little bit and uh, that's something that that boggles my mind um, when we talk we talk about Jesus, and you know the the old saying goes is like eighteen, 18 inches, eighteen inches. That's the hardest eighteen inches in our world, and and people will be like eighteen inches. What the heck does that mean? What do you mean that's the hardest hardest eighteen inches in the world? And and it comes to faith. It comes to um, Jesus. We can have all the knowledge in the world. But where the where it happens, where the transformation comes, that's the hardest 18 inches in the world, because to know 
and then to feel and do it's it's from the head to the heart that's where the hardest transformation takes place and you know we see that through scripture of um you know we even talked about the rich young ruler last week but that's the hardest 18 inches that we face is we can understand it we can have the knowledge but do we have the passion do we have the willpower to step out and do you know you know, I'm a big fan um, of, you know, picking on Peter just because it was easy. He made it easy. But I relate so much to that. And, you know, people want to step back and say all these things about Peter. Yet, guess what? You, I mean, you just mentioned it. Peter did it. All the others, you know, they were fearful. But Peter did it. And that's where it lies is, is, is our heart ready for that? And if not, I mean, that's, that's okay. It's, it, it's up for an examination. Um, but that's, we, we all start in different spots and that's a conversation to have. Don't think that, um, we have all the answers out here or we're so much further than you, um, for the people listening. That's not the case. We'll meet you wherever you're at. That's our job to meet you there. And, um, it doesn't matter if you've been a Christian for 60 years, you still don't fully comprehend it. Guess what? We can meet you there. And, and it really is just to go and do. So, if, you know, all the things we can learn from Peter, it's definitely that to just just freaking step out and say, I'm going to try it. I'm going to let my heart kind of be softened and let that callous go to say, Jesus, you know, this is weird. I'm scared. There's a big storm, but I trust you. Let's do it. Let's see how powerful you are. And, and I love that. I love that um, about the way that Matthew mentioned it. Very good. Anything else you want to add, Matthew? Um, sorry. On this podcast, you're known as Coach Rhodes. Anything else you want to add, Coach Rhodes? <laughs> um, I do. I do have something else I do want to ask. Um, it, it's kind of related, um, but it it was mentioned in chapter four, and it was about um, how house churches are the norm um, across the world, and so. Um, I just want your guys' viewpoint on, on what do you think about that? Like, um, because that's that's biblical house churches are, and why why we aren't doing that in America? Because that would, I think that would help us in relying on Jesus and in, in in utilizing His power is to go as as a small body of like a group and and go share together and go go live life with others and 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 see the miracles that are happening. And so my question is, how, how, how does that look here in America? Can I take this one? Yes, you may. <laughs> Man, yeah. let me tell you what. This excites me to no end. What, what we see in Acts is they met together daily, breaking bread in their homes, you know, uh, pouring over the apostles' teachings, doing these things, praying, enjoying the fellowship. But they also met in a corporate setting in the synagogue. And so what I envision is a network in America, we probably won't call them house churches. Um, You know, the tried and true phrase is small groups, uh, whatever you want to call it. Um, I love the aspect of meeting together. Uh, My group right now meets on my back deck. Uh, Sometimes we meet in the living room, whatever it is, Uh, you know, 10 to 15 people. And we just open the scriptures and do that together. We share uh, our discovery of God's word. We push each other. Uh, we try to pray for each other and keep each other accountable. And all that's great. 
Um, I, I love that. I also love the fact that many lost people, many people who have been burned by the church, uh, many people who don't feel good enough to come to the church, they're a lot more likely to come sit on my back deck uh, than they are to come sit in a pew next to me. Uh, for whatever reason, the church is intimidating to people. It scares people. Uh, or maybe they just think it's full of hypocrites and they don't want any part of it. But when it's a, a small group meeting in my backyard, they're willing to do that. And so then where the corporate gathering comes in, you know, you, you come together in that small group and maybe you get a few lost people that are starting to discover who Jesus is. And then you come together as a corporate body of other people who have their own groups. And it is a celebration of worship to God because he is so good and he is using a miserable sinner like me to further his kingdom. And so Sunday mornings, it is an all out party because God is using even us to do his work. And then when that lost person finally decides that they want to join that corporate gathering, it's an even bigger celebration. And the cycle just starts over because then we chase down the next person. Uh, I love the house church idea. I, I just think it's semantics. We have to call it something different in America. But uh, that's what I view it as. Uh, you guys can tell me where I'm right or wrong. I would love to add to it, but I think Brandon, I think Brandon really crushed it. Okay, well, hey, Brandon, we haven't heard from you yet. What was something that stood out to you here in this part? Well, uh, when we get to chapter six, uh, Rifkin really uh, hammers home the idea of the heart for the lost. Uh, he mentions the lost sheep in Luke 15. Uh, I mean, he just keeps coming back to uh, examining ourselves and examining our churches for, do we put our, well, that's a bad phrase, to put our money where our mouth is? Do we put our actions where our mouth is? Do we, do we honestly um, care for the lost? Uh, he, he says this at one point, uh, the needs of the lost must remain the primary focus. The lost need to hear, to understand, and to believe the gospel. They need to be baptized, to be gathered into house churches, uh, and responding to the needs of the lost is our God-given task. We are, as we obediently answer God's command, nothing can be more important than the needs of the lost. Um, that is something that I hope I give more than lip service to, uh, but I do try to keep that on the forefront um, of my mind uh, and uh, the church as a whole. Like, uh, do we evaluate every single thing we do through the eyes of a lost person? Uh, do we evaluate the the way we live individually? Uh, do we look at our personal budgets, our personal schedules, and look for that time with the lost? Uh, he goes on to say, and, and I don't have this one in front of me, uh, but he, he asks how much of our time is spent uh, with wolves. Uh, if we continue that Matthew 10 metaphor, if we're sheep among wolves, how much time do we actually spend with the wolves? Or are we just cowering with the other sheep? Uh, that was convicting to me because uh, oftentimes as Christians, uh, we get our Christian friends and we don't want to get outside of our holy bubble. Uh, we just want to continue in that safe area where we feel holy and righteous because we're not sinning because, of course, we don't sin inside the church. Um, instead, we should be seeking the wolves and if they bite if they maul who cares jesus told it was going to happen anyway 
we should embrace that and continue to love them and continue to pray for them and continue to forgive them anyway. So that, that whole chapter, and then he just finishes it asking simply, evaluate your personal budget, evaluate your church budget, uh, evaluate your personal schedule and your church schedule. How much are you investing in the lost? What do you guys think? I think that that really stood out to me too, because um, what does the lost look like uh, in, in each situation? What does a wolf look like? Um, obviously a wolf in other cultures, that's persecution. That's hostility. Um, as a wolf simply in, in our context or the people we're trying to reach someone who's just cold hearted to this, to, to the truth, cold hearted to Jesus. And, um, where our efforts, I, I really wrestled with one of the questions or not questions, one of the statements that Nate Ripken, Ripken had that most of the money that is given towards American churches pretty much stays within the church, right? Your, your building, your, um, your salaries, your, the stuff that you buy all stays within the church. And so then that money just gets circulated back and goes towards those within the church walls. And that really, uh, I felt like that was a punch to me because I'm like, well, I get paid by a church that tithes. And, um, you know, let's talk about my traffic tickets again. So, uh, <laughs> you know, I get a traffic ticket. And this is a couple months ago. And I told one of my buddies at the church and he, he made a joke with some truth in it. He's like, well, I guess my tithe went to your traffic ticket this week. <laughs> and it ticked me off at first. And then I was like, he's not wrong. You know, that I am, my salary comes from those who give. And so I need to be a good steward and responsible of what is being given in the church. And that means my salary as well. So then I sat down that day and that was a couple months ago. And I said, what do I need to do different um, that I am reaching the lost within what's being given to me, that my time is not being wasted so I, I don't know how much any of these things help, but now every day I'm at an after-school program with fifth and sixth graders that are just tough. Um, every, every week I go to uh, the schools that are just tough in town and, and trying to be more involved in the community and not in my office because I feel like my job is they're making an investment in me, my church. My investment needs to be in my community. And I've been given that unique opportunity to do that because I'm, I'm getting paid by a church to have that full time to do those things. And it's really made me look different at how do I be a good steward of what's been given to me? Uh, it's been a fun challenge and uh, made me more responsible of, of how I take care of my time and my money. If that's, if that answers what you're hey, saying, Brandon, what you said um, added a new layer of conviction to me. Uh, and I do want to be careful because it is, uh, and we might have even said this in our last episode, it's very easy to become self-critical uh, or critical of the churches that we, uh, you know, serve, that we love. Uh, and that's not our intention. Our intention is to push us to be better, uh, to be mm -hmm. more like Jesus. Uh, and sometimes, I mean, you have difficult conversations and, and it is hard and uncomfortable. So I, I don't say this to slight anything, uh, but what you were saying about your friend making that joke um, I mean, what if Jesus is saying, oh, okay, so that money that my servants gave the church 
is going for uh, I, I don't know. Let's just say carpet. That's a common joke that you know we argue over the the color of the carpet. Um, but you know, what if he's saying you you invested in that, and right across the street, man, there's people who can't even pay their electricity bill. Um, hmm. Yeah, I I don't know. That is something I think we need to take yeah, more and seriously. I don't want that to be. I don't want that to be a knock on the church at all. It's a knock on me. I wanted that to be a knock on me. That hey. I need to be better at what I'm doing and not, and maybe that can be an encouragement to all of us that we can have these hard conversations and go, what do we really need as a church and, and as a people, as a, as even a family unit, whatever our families look like. And what do, what can we give? What, what can we obey God in and giving and, and putting better efforts into other areas, you know, and that starts with me and being honest with me, hey, you um, know? Oh, oh, go ahead, Rhodes. Well, I just wanted to add in there. Um, Last year, when I went to I went to this this church camp in Colorado, um, the the speaker named Matt Cody, um, he's he's at a church in Denver, and he said that he said that they have like you know their small groups or whatever, and they would get together their small group. They, they made a decision that like I don't know if it was every month or every every couple months or so they'd they'd sacrifice something. Um, in their daily in their daily life like maybe that's extra that extra coke you know or maybe it's whatever uh whatever it may be that you're spending money on and they would put that money together and once once they you know at at, at the end of whenever whenever it may be they'd be they'd pray hey god help us use this money for your king like in to give to someone that, that's in need and God would always provide. And he like, it might be someone's water bill or it might be someone like, it might be something simple as that, but Hey, let's, let's use this money to help, to help someone else. God, how, how can we use this to help someone else? And so I just think that's a very practical way, um, whether it's in your small group or in, or in any small group that, Hey, let's sacrifice something that, that we get on the norm that, that we don't necessarily need. And we can use this money um, to go to God's kingdom and to go make a difference in someone's life. That is a really cool idea. Uh, and I hope to steal that someday soon. Um, I, I mean, in my personal life, when I give stuff away, uh, whatever I give away has less control on, on me, less control of my heart. Uh, you know, whether that's money or possessions or whatever. Uh, so, as a church, one of the common complaints uh, of the American church as a whole is that we're very consumeristic. Uh, and like you brought up, Kendall, our budgets reflect that. They're, they're so inward focused. So if we were more intentional with giving stuff away, um, you know, whether that was normal tithes and offerings or as a church, what if we practiced what Rhodes was just talking about and gave up something as a church for a month and collected all that money and gave it away? man, that might radically change us and make us less consumeristic and more outward focused. Hunter, do you have any thoughts? I mean, I don't, I I had a thought on, on what you're talking about, but I don't want to drastically change where we're at. So, you know, if anybody else had something um, specifically on this topic, um, no. Well, we can transition into final thoughts then if if you'd like to. Sure. I mean, this is this isn't a final thought. I just I wanted to go just a little bit different route um cuz you brought up wolves again and and someone man, how do I say this without 
um, causing a revolt. Um, and this isn't a time like last week where you can sound the sirens. This isn't political. This is this is more theological. Something that I struggle with, you know. A lot of times, and and this comes unintentional. Hear me when I say that. Um, this is unintentional. But how often do we see our wolves actually in sheep's clothing? And and I look to Judas in this moment. Um, I'm someone that that sees a different side of Judas. I don't immediately say like, oh, Judas, like, you know, I chalk it up to, you know, he, he made a mistake. Yeah, he did make a mistake. But what he thought he was doing, you know, it possibly could be where he thought Jesus was going to reign. He thought Jesus was going to take over. And, and this is more of a question as I'm working through it. And some others might be as well as in your church, how many, how many are wearing sheep's clothing, even when they're wolves. And it just may be a unintentional um, understanding of theology. You know, where do those conversations start to say that we don't dissolve on the inside? We, we, you know, you brought up carpet. We don't argue about all these, um, you know, tangible things and, and we're having, we're stuck on really dumb issues and it could not be a dumb issue for somebody else. It, you know, it could hold true to their faith. And so, you know, that comes to us of, are, are we good with our theology? And, and it more poses a question of like, how do we operate when we come into contact with someone um, in our life, in our life groups, in our church and say, this might be a wolf. Um, they might actually be hurting, hurting people a lot just based on, and I, and I use Judas for an example of, you know, they could think they're doing the right thing. And in a um, very political realm that we live in, some, sometimes that let it, that runs us. We don't let it, um, you know, we let it take over our life. And, and so I just pose the question of like, how do we, how do we work around that to, to talk about what you're saying here. That's a difficult and large question. Uh, and one that I struggle with. I, I may hide it a little bit, but I'm a total nerd. I, I want to know, <laughs> I, I want to know so many things and I love having theological debates um, and doing all that. Like I, I love it when somebody disagrees with me and we just open the scriptures together and they show me where I'm wrong and, uh, well, that's usually as far as it goes, because I usually am wrong. Um, <laughs> but I also love Ripken was telling a little bit of his testimony in this uh, and about the uh, point where he was about to go into long term missions. And he he wrote that he fell in love with the work and will of God. And he had little interest interest in the theological debates that seemed important to others. Um Man, I just see a really simple faith in that that's really profound at the same time. It's He just simply read the word and was like, okay, that's what they did. That's what God seems to be doing. That's probably what I should be doing. Um, and if people want to get down in the weeds and argue, man, I'll point them down the hall to uh, the senior pastor's office and let them go debate uh, the theological matters there. And maybe I should just stay away from that and continue pursuing the simple reading of scripture. Is that too simple? No, I, I love it. I, I was just curious, you know, that's something that was on my heart. I was just curious. It, it's so hard because I love those conversations and 
Um, <laughs> you can ask Katie. <laughs> she gets mad at how long I spend on the phone <laughs> or how long I'll spend reading something that has nothing to do with anything else I'm working on, but I want to be right on a certain point in an argument that I'm having with somebody. So, um, yeah, I, I like Ripken's approach a lot better than mine. I I want to add something in there, and this is to the extreme from what Hunter was saying, but I have heard of I've heard of people who are like Satanists or that have had a place as eldership in the church, and they're they put on the front. Um, they're literally a wolf in in sheep clothing, and they put on a front, and their whole goal is to destroy the church. And I'm not saying that all of our wolves, I mean, all of our elders are, are wolves or anything like that. But I'm just saying that <laughs> I'm just saying that the church needs to be very aware of who they put in leadership and who they put um, at the head of head, at the head of the church. And so um, that's all I have. Well, that's all the time we have for today. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh. Well, now, uh, as we are starting to wrap up the end of this week's podcast, let's talk about our Pew News. Pew, pew, pew. Pew, pew, pew. Our Pew News is where we look at some of the feedback that we heard from those who are watching, those in the pew. And we want to know what you guys are thinking, uh, what your feedback is, whether good, bad, the ugly, whatever it might be. And so now it's time for our Pew News. Breaking news from the Pew News. All right. So I had a text message from a friend, and actually every single one of us in this group knows this person. And um, I won't say names on the podcast, but they they listened to they listened to about half of the podcast and, and they, they really got something out of it, which is positive news for us, because it means that hey, we're um, that this podcast, we, we just wanted to help people, um, whether it meant one person or whether it meant multiple people. We just wanted to be there to, like, to share experiences, to share, to share a voice, whether we deserve to have a voice share, shared or not, which we don't. But we just wanted, we just wanted to be a positive influence to others um, with this podcast. But this person, I'm going to read their quote, and um, maybe, maybe, this, maybe this is the same thing you're feeling. Maybe so, because I have felt this way too, so I resonate with it. And this person said, I listened to about half of your guys' podcast. You made a good point about Americans might be the hardest to bring to Christ, as we don't really have essential needs. That's true. To kind of back that point up, I think, in my opinion, Americans are generally more lazy and selfish. I know I'm a Christian, but I fall into that. I get lazy and focus on myself and then end up not going to church, for example. And I like attending church. Things that take an effort like that, I typically don't do. Not because I don't believe in Jesus, not because I don't want to go to church, just simply I get selfish and lazy in the present moment. Things that take less effort like praying and talking to God, I do daily. I would say most Americans struggle with that, but I know for me, for sure I struggle with being lazy with my effort and being selfish in that it prevents me from doing what I know I should be doing. I really need to get into the routine of going to church and I need to be reading devotionals or chapters in the book or something. Now, anything would be better than, than the effort I'm putting in right now. I 100% believe that Jesus is God's son. 100% believe he's the way to heaven. I know what I should be doing. I just, for some reason, don't put the effort into the things I should when it comes to my faith. Gotta be better. Yeah, man. I really love 
that uh, whoever that is that apparently I know, shout out to, to that guy um, or gal. I, I just love the honesty. Um, and that's what we're looking for. Cr- true Christian community and true growth in Christ. It, just being honest with one another. We don't have to agree on everything. We just got to be honest and willing to grow with each other through the hard things. And, and definitely some of the things we've talked about so far these last two weeks is hard um, and difficult and, and hard to swallow. Uh, and sometimes it's hard to even be honest within that. And so I really appreciate that listener out there who was willing to be honest with, hey, these are some things I need to work on um, that I know I can relate to. Absolutely. We love that feedback. Uh, as we mentioned earlier, uh, we are on a couple of social media platforms. So if you don't have our numbers, uh, we'll give roads out after the break. Um, hey, but on amen. Twitter, on Twitter and Facebook, you can follow us at Practical Pew, uh, and you can always leave comments and uh, do stuff like that there. Uh, but really, I think that's another wrap on episode two and three for the Practical for the Pew podcast. So for Hunter, Kendall, Coach Rhodes, I'm Brandon. And as always, we want to say thanks for listening, Mom. <laughs> And I think, um, I think that illustrates it a lot for, for a lot of people. Because um, in my life, I got to be better too. And um, your your guys' lives, you got to be better too. And the only way that is, the only way we can do that, is by being obedient to Jesus, like we talk about over and over and over again in this podcast, by surrendering our lives, surrendering everything we have to Him, and saying, "Hey, this is all yours. This is yours." <laughs>